0: Welcome to the Bruins Benders podcast It is episode 7 And it is sponsored by Lops Brewing And presented to you by Anchor on the Anchor app Lops Brewing is a brewery and tasting room in downtown Woonsocket, Rhode Island, specializing in small batch ales and lagers. It's open seven days a week. You can use the coupon code SPORTS to get 10% off your online order. Go to LopsBrewing.com, that's L-O-P-S Brewing.com, and follow them on social media, at Lops Brewing, for new beers and events. I am your host, Matty, and my co-host has just resigned as president of the Mike Riley fan club. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. I certainly have. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of his game of late. Uh, he is a turnover machine in his own defensive zone. And uh, he doesn't add enough for me offensively to make it worthwhile. So I feel like if there's anybody that should be on the way out, maybe with Jake DeBrus, see if you can get a little bit more. It should be him. Yeah, and I, and I agree.
0: You know, Mike Riley, the re-signing of him, I thought was was okay at the time. It's, you know, it was only three million a year. It was three years, which was sort of strange, but I I thought that they probably had to do it. You know, just because of their salary cap situation, and it was an easy re-sign for them. Left shot D, good offensive puck mover, fine. But his defensive liabilities have really caused some concern, and I don't know now whether or not they maybe send him somewhere or or if they can really continue on with him unless he can really improve his game in his own end. But we will see what happens. But he could be a guy, you know, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. You might be able to package somewhere this year to see if you can get somebody else. And But you are th- sort of thin on the blue line and the left shot uh, blue liner as well. So you're in a little bit of a pickle there. To yeah. me, the ideal left side would be to have brislick Boabort, and Zaboral, and not Riley. right. right. That would be ideal, especially with what Zaboral has shown before his injury. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it's not a, a long-term injury. But uh, what he's shown, uh, I think, can definitely be someone you can slot in that third pair, for sure, and then maybe move on from Riley. Hey, follow us on social media, at Berwyn's Benders. we on uh, Twitter, or on Instagram, or on Facebook. You can also, we have a new YouTube channel, so you can catch the episodes and some of the interviews that we do. We had Mike Milbury on last week, had a great time with him. That is up on YouTube. If you search Bruins Benders Podcast on YouTube, you'll see our interview with Mike Milbury, and it was a good one. So check that out as well. So follow us on social media. The Weekend Review, two, just two games between the last episode and this one. First one was at Nashville, December 2, a 2 to nothing win, and it was a really good effort. I thought it was as close to 60 minutes of good hockey as the Bruins have had, maybe for the year so far. It was tough to lose uh, Zaboral, as we talked about. He had a lower body injury that is still being evaluated, so hopefully it wasn't a cut-and-dry like ACL or something that would really, or MCL, that would hamper him for a long time. So since he's still being evaluated, that might be some pretty good news. Uh, Jeremy Swayman was great in this one. Gets the shutout, made some big saves, 42 saves in all. He's just the fourth Bruin ever to record 42 saves or more in a shutout. Bill Ranford did it three times. Tim Thomas did it twice, and old Gus, Gustafson, did it, <laughs> did it once. <laughs> uh, it looked look, looked a lot more like the teams of the past, you know, just being stingy defensively somewhat. You know, they dig about 42 say, shots on net, but playing a little bit better defensively, more support, and more conviction. I thought they had more conviction in the offensive end, especially... From the get go, like they really looked like they were trying to get pucks on net and score and thought Brandon Carlo had a goal. I thought it was one of his better games, too.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a great team game overall. Great effort. I think they played hard from the opening jump. They did show a lot more conviction getting to the front of the net. I did think it was Brandon Carlo's best game of the year. uh, And that's something that they definitely need going forward, especially with McAvoy missing uh, the game tonight with uh, with illness against Tampa. So they need Carlo to step up and be better than he has been.
0: No question. I mean, I think Carlo is a guy that over time in the the past has shown that if he has missed time, he gets rusty when he plays, like he needs to play night after night after night and get into a rhythm, Mm -hmm. I think. And he's shown the past when he's been injured and come back, like he'll show rustiness. And I think that that's part of his problem, hopefully part of his problem at the beginning
1: of the year. Yeah, maybe the the schedule kind of affected him more than some other guys. You know, Zaboral, hopefully that injury is nothing too serious. Uh, He did seem like he was coming into his own a little bit, playing with some more confidence, uh, showing some offensive flashes. So uh, that was good to see. And and hopefully his injury isn't isn't too serious. Uh, Swayman was very good in this game. But I did think that the Bruins, even though they gave up 42 shots, a lot of them weren't real great chances. I mean, there were a few that Swayman had to be really good on. But overall, I thought they kept a lot of the Nashville chances to the outside. So not a lot of real high danger stuff against him. So I think that certainly helped with his, you know, getting the shutout.
0: So that was a good win against a pretty good team in Nashville. Good road win for the Bruins. And then uh, tonight, December 4th, Tampa Bay Lightning come in. And again, I thought without their two best players uh, dominated for much of the game. Two unlucky goals, I thought. One was uh, the goal on the on the breakaway and the shorthanded situation where Riley batted out of the air and then get caught flat-footed. Then there was another redirection off Thomas Nosek toward the lower part of the slot that snuck in. So that's two sort of unlucky goals for them. But for the most part, they really looked like the better team, you know, for much of it. They fight back from the 2-0 deficit. They tie it, and then they don't get a call and a breakaway. I thought there was a hook on Pasta not going in. Should have been a penalty shot, I thought. And it sent us in the net. Sam Coast comes down the other way, 3-on-3 three three overtime, And a great shot, short side high. But I think the team is heading, trending in the right direction. I would agree with that. I thought it was another really good
1: effort. Uh, I thought they deserved much better. They had three posts in total. Pasta hit two. Kylo hit one. Parsonak was buzzing. That line was good. Him and Hall seemed to have developed a little bit of a chemistry. Uh, I thought the Nosek-Lazar-DeBrus line was excellent tonight. Lazar with a fantastic finish to tie it forehand, backhand, shelf. I mean, that was unbelievable. And I thought Jack Ashan stepping in was excellent. He was noticeable on the ice. He made plays offensively. He was good defensively, played well body position-wise, threw some hits against some much bigger guys, went toe-to-toe with Corey Perry and Pat Maroon. I thought he was excellent, and I thought Connor Clifton even stepped in, and honestly, I thought he had a pretty good game. So I have to, I have to give it to him. He wasn't noticeable in a bad way. He didn't really get out of position. He kept it simple, which is really what he needs to do to be an effective player at this level. So if he can do that, I'll maybe get off his ass uh, and maybe I'll jump onto Riley's ass because he turned the puck over a bunch in this game. It didn't really cost them. But uh, I thought the worst
0: defenseman on the ice for the
1: Bruins tonight was
0: Riley. And I agree. I thought Clifton was okay, too. And Sean has a really good shot, too, for a little guy. He could fire the puck uh, and he was getting it, you know, on net or close to on net there. And Early on in the game, I think it was his first shift. Corey Perry going toward the going toward the post. They come shoulder to shoulder, and he was able to veer him off. Good positional hockey from Ashan, and you know didn't do too much. He was noticeable, like you said. A little bit of offensive game there too from him. You know another guy who is a little undersized. So you have a you know Grizzly and him are you know somewhat similar. Uh, so you don't want to be too small in the blue line. But I thought Ashan was pretty good too. All right, it's time now for our seven chirps. This is where we answer seven burning questions for the Boston Bruins. And question number one, what would a successful trade of Jake Debrusk look like? Uh, to me, it's
1: a second line center. So you can slot Coyle down to the third line center where he really belongs. I don't know if Jake alone will get you a second line center. I'm thinking not. So you would have to either throw in maybe a Mike Riley, hello, mm-hmm. or Mike Riley and a, and a pick or two. Right. But if you can get a legitimate second line center for Jake and Riley in a pick or two, I would do it. I thought Jake has played his best hockey these last couple games. I don't think that's any surprise. He's kind of trying to showcase his talent. He's playing on the fourth line, so he's not getting, you know, the top pairing D on the other team. He's usually getting uh, some guys who are lower down in the defensive pairs, which I think helps him. But I would like to see them get the second line center that the team desperately needs.
0: And I agree. And I think that Jake is also benefiting from playing with two hardworking guys and Nosik and Lazar tonight. I mean, they they work hard, they grind, they forecheck, they get in, they play the right way. My question is, where was this before with DeBrusque? Like, what? It's like, why are we now playing hard? Like, this I, the whole thing just rubs me the wrong way. I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. If you were capable of doing this now, why weren't you capable of playing this way before? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't. But maybe there's a a the friction there with him at Cassidy or if there's a, I don't know what it's, what's going on there, but why are you all of a sudden playing hard? And that, that's what irritates me about the whole situation. Yeah, I'm, w- I'm 100% with you
1: on that. I mean, that's, that's, re- that's been his problem the whole time he's been here is the consistency right. of effort. And if you're not going to give it consistently, like I don't have a problem with a coach calling you out for it. That's what should happen if you're not going to be consistently trying, consistently back checking that whole thing. It needs to happen. So I don't have a problem.
0: So I agree. Uh, Second line center would be ideal. I think they need offense, even though we rail on the defense. I think they need offense more than defense with this. If you're going to make a run with this group, because you can't have Trent Frederick as your third line center, but I'll talk about that later. (laughs) Number two, should the Bruins consider playing Brad Marchand with Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith or, or off of that line or mix up the first and second lines, when he returns since Taylor Hall and David Pasternak are playing so well together? I say yes. I'm not necessarily with Coyle
1: and Smith. I feel like the best thing to do is keep Marchand and Bergeron together because they've played together for so long so well. So I keep those guys together. I put Hall and Pasternak together on the second line, and hopefully it's with a new second-line center. So you slot Coyle down to the third line. Maybe you play Coyle Mm -hmm. with Haller. They seem to have developed a chemistry in the last couple of games. Eric Hall has been much better the last few games playing with Coyle. So I feel like you keep the pairs together. So Bergeron, Marchand, Hall, Pasta, and then the rest trickles down. You know, maybe you move Smith up to the first line to play with Bergeron and Marchand, and and you get another shooter there. I, I think there's some things you can do, and that that also makes the other team have to figure out which line they want to put their top pairing D out against. And Mm -hmm. it kind of spreads out the Bruins offense a little bit more, which, you know, people have kind of been clamoring for for a while. Secondary scoring. Well, if you have two top lines, there's a little more opportunity for that.
0: You know, I'm with you. I, I think that Taylor Hall and David Pasternak have fed off of each other a little bit. I mean, they're both supremely skilled. And I would try that a little longer. Give it another eight or ten games mm-hmm. of those guys together. And and like you said, uh, Marchand and Bergeron together, maybe with Craig Smith. And then you bring, uh, put Coyle with those two guys. Maybe it's probably what you'd do, I would assume, right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Charlie Coyle's had a good, you could make a case that Charlie Coyle is, other than Marshawn, has been the most consistent player they've had throughout the season. Yeah, I mean he has seven goals, the six. I mean he has thirteen
1: points, yeah. fifth on the team in scoring. So yeah. he's he's having a good season. So yeah. I I mean I wouldn't mind putting him there. I mean I think he's ideally suited for a third line role, but he's been he's been what they need so far in the second line center role. Like there there shouldn't be any complaints with with
0: how Charlie Coyle's played so far. No, and he's done what they've asked. I mean, what to me, it's the best-case scenario. He's done what you've asked of him. He had six goals in 51 games last year. He has seven goals in 21 games. He's raised his level of play just when they needed it. But I'm with you. On a cup winner, he's a third-line center. I honestly believe that. Number three, should the Bruins pick a starting goalie and stick with it for a while? It seems to be that Jeremy Swayman He got the back-to-back games here with Nashville and Tampa Bay. Nashville, he was better, I thought, than he was against Tampa Bay. But do you stick with maybe Swayman for a little bit? Uh, Stick with the one goalie, maybe play him four or five games and then go to the backup. Do you do that right now? I
1: feel like you do. I feel like Swayman's playing better than Allmark is, you know, maybe the second night of a back-to-back, like they have Wednesday, Thursday, I think, coming up next week. So you go Swayman in one, Allmark in the other, and then... Then you go back to Swayman and you ride him for the uh, mm. for the next couple of games and and see if you can have somebody win a job. Now the the problem is if you go with Swayman and you you get him and he's playing well and you kind of riding him and he kind of wins the job, what do you do when two comes back?
0: Right, you know that is a good point.
1: So the guy that's going to probably go down in that situation is Swayman. You can send him down without having to pass him through yeah, waivers, waivers, where where yeah. Allmark, you would have to pass him through and right. potentially lose him. So. Right. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have if if Swayman's playing well and wins a job, but I don't know what happens in that case. You risk losing a goalie or you risk making your team worse because you send down the guy who's playing better.
0: You know, I know it's easier to say now, but if you look back to the beginning of the year, you almost probably should have gone Swayman-Vladar because in Allmark, you didn't get a guy with that much more experience. So it's not like you got Braden Holtby or you got... Mark andre Fleury or Jonathan Bernier or someone like you didn't get someone with experience or even playoff experience or cup winning experience. So you got a guy who didn't have that much more experience than the other guys and paid him $5 million a year for four years with a, with a no movement clause. Holy smokes. Like what, what is that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I, didn't, I didn't love the contract no. at all. I didn't no. love the contract no. at all. I was okay with the signing. If you wanted to get a veteran in there with a little more experience, you didn't want to go with two rookies. I, I understand that. I understood it at the time. The trade of ladara. I, I mean, I wasn't clamoring to, oh, we got to keep Vladar. Like, but I think Allmark, the contract's too long. I felt like if you wanted to go two years and eight or whatever, two years and even you know nine, you want to go two and four and a half a year or whatever mm-hmm. for a shorter term deal, I was fine with that. But when the contract came and it was four and 20, I was like, holy shit, that's a little bit
0: excessive. Like, I think we yeah. went a little bit overboard there it looks to me, it was like, it was almost like a panic move that really didn't need to be done. If you knew all along that Tuca was thinking of coming back late in the year. So you could have gone. Now, I know you're trying to win a cup and you don't want to fall too far behind. And if the rookies are a disaster, then you're in a bind, no doubt. But if you're that high on Swayman and Vladar is a capable backup, you probably wanted to try it for a few and see, see what, I mean, are you in that much worse shape than you are now. No, I mean, you're, you're playing Swayman for the most part. So I know it's revisionist history, but I don't know if that was the right move to go with Allmark. Maybe Elmark changes all of our minds and gets into a rhythm and plays much better and ends up being the goalie. But if you're that high on Swayman, you really signed Almark for four years at $5 million. I don't know. I just, it just didn't make a whole ton of sense, knowing everything that was in front of you. Number four, are we making too much of not responding to Patrice Bergeron being targeted against nashville nashville was really making it a point to rough up bergeron it wasn't a ton of response parsenak jumped in a little bit uh, a little bit here and there here's my take on that whole nonsense it's not 1975 number one two you're you're up two to nothing and they're basically trying to beat you into a, a penalty so if you take that penalty and they score the goal now you're in a bind. Now, now you're taking on water. Now, now you have to survive and hope to get those two points. It's not as cut and dry as let's take a guy's head off when someone makes a run at someone. It's a delicate situation because you don't want to take the penalty. It almost has to be filed in the back of your brain right. and then handled later
1: on. I 100% agree with you because it bit him the other night when Riley took a retaliation penalty right. after he got knocked down. The other team scores and they lose. So, you have to be smart about it. I think they did try to respond, but it's a different league now. You can't yes. just grab somebody and beat the shit out of them. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> no. So, Felino do yeah. and Frederick both offered to Forsberg, but Forsberg's one of their best players. He's not going to fight fucking Felino or Frederick, especially. No. The Bruins did what they could do. You file it away. And you target Forsberg. The next time you play Nashville, yeah, yeah. everybody bangs the fuck out of Forsberg. Let's get that
0: hashtag trending. Bang the fuck yeah. out of Forsberg. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's what, That's how you handle it, though. And you're right. You don't want to take suspensions. The league's different in how they police all that stuff. You don't want to take a suspension. No one wants to pay a fine. No one wants to do any of that. And certainly don't want to take take a penalty when you're up 2 nothing in the third, like on the road, when you really need a win and you're trying to get better. You're trying to trend in the right direction. So it was interesting how Nashville did it. Not many teams ever target Patrice Bergeron. There's there's this over overlying respect for him that that's not really done in the league. But they chose to, and they didn't get all that much response. I think they got. I would even say I think they got enough of a response from the Bruins that Pasternak like went over there and. And responded like he responded but you respond in a certain way you don't just you don't just you know pound a guy into the ice and take a five minute, minute you know, double minors oh and you stuff. can't
1: you can't go over some, can and, ju- and like cross check him in the head or something I mean it's just no. that's what they no. want that's what they right. want so you they the Bruins I thought handled it pretty well they did offer I thought after there was a couple of whistles after that where Frederick and Felino both offered and somebody mm-hmm. stepped in and kind of got in between Forsberg and them but they tried to get after the guy but he's not going to fight in that situation no no he's one of their best players they're down to they need him on the ice so he's not gonna (laughs) he's not gonna leave the ice and fight some clown from the
0: Bruins I'm not into the whole the Neanderthal reaction stuff on the ice, like we need to beat them and take the penalty. Like that's not winning hockey. Sorry, I mean it's just not. It's not. Uh, it's not Band of Brothers. It's a different league now. If it was, if it was the same
1: league that it was in the '70s or '80s when Scott Stevens could just come across the middle and take a guy's head off just for right. shits and giggles, then fine. But it's not the same league. You can't do that anymore. You can't even hit a guy down in front of the net anymore. So never no, I- mind, you know, going after a guy to try to kill him for cheap shot and somebody on your team.
0: Question number five, should there be concern about Charlie McAvoy's ice time a couple of times this year already? At least he's had 28 minutes of ice time. Should we be concerned about maybe an overload with Charlie who was actually out sick, non COVID illness uh, for, for the game against Tampa Bay. But, would you be concerned about too much wear and tear? No, he's
1: young. He's yeah. just stud. You gotta ride that guy. Their defense isn't yeah. that isn't that good. I've been actually wondering why he was only playing 23 minutes. <laughs> you know, I feel like right. he's in the same category as you know the Thomas Shabbats and guys who are playing 27, 28 minutes or you know 25 minutes. I feel like he should be upwards of 25 minutes every single night. I want him on the ice or Carlo on the ice. I don't want their third pairing right shot D on the ice. I don't, especially if it's Clifton. So right. so if, if you're going to give me a choice between four or five more minutes of, of McAvoy or Clifton, I'm going to choose Charlie McAvoy every single time. Right. Every no, time.
0: No question. no question. McAvoy is a stud. I think Shabbat has the highest average ice time. So he like does. 27 and a half or yeah. 28 of them. But McAvoy should definitely be up in that top five for the league. Plus, he's also built for it, I think. He's stocky. He's rugged, built. I think he can handle it for sure. Question six. Do you think the Bruins are now getting into a rhythm with a more normal schedule? I would say yes, that the schedule is definitely better now for them. We talked about a guy like Brandon Carlo. Is a perfect example. He'll get rusty if there's too much layoff. I mean, he need, he's a guy who bangs bodies and needs the physicality and needs to get into a rhythm, and I think he hel- it's helpful to him to keep playing game after game, you know, three games a week. Uh, now they get a schedule now to go out uh, and they travel out to West Coast and they'll play, f- you know, four games in six days or whatever it is. So I think that's good for them, and I think that you're starting to see now them playing more like they typically play. I agree.
1: I think they are getting into a rhythm. I think uh, the schedule in the early part of the season definitely hurt them. Carlo especially was not good. These last couple of games have been his two best games. He had a goal against Nashville, and then this game against Tampa, he was very good. And he needed to be because they were without McAvoy. So um hopefully things are trending in the right direction. I feel like they are. The last two games, their efforts been much better. They deserve much better in this Tampa game. They won the Nashville game played solid defensively kept most things to the outside so I I do think their game is going in the right direction this is going to be a tough stretch though because they have uh you know they're playing some really good teams they have they have Calgary they have Edmonton they have Vegas who's usually uh tough on them so um Calgary's very stingy and then of course McDavid with with Edmonton so it's going to be a tough trip but but they are playing much better so hopefully you know they can pick up some wins on the west coast
0: And uh, number seven, do you think Jack Ashan has a future on the Bruins blue line? He is undersized. He was a guy that sort of just sort of jumped on the scene a year or so ago. People really started to notice him at development camp. I like Jack Ashan. He reminds me some of Grislyk. I mean, he's still undersized and and you don't want to be like a bunch of Bunch of little guys out there on the blue line. That's part of the problems that they've had in the past is aware and tearing their D. But I think he has good skills, plays confidently. He was noticeable, like you talked about. And it may be a guy that maybe next year or so you can start to think about whether or not you want to continue with the Matt Grizzly. Maybe Jack Ashon's the next guy in there or something. But I think he definitely has a future in the league. I just don't know, you know, if it's going to be on a roster like this where you have you know some similar type of demon. I've been banging that drum for a
1: little bit, saying that they may be a little bit too small in the back end. Grizz a good player. He's having a little bit of a down year this year so far. Uh, so hopefully that will correct soon. I like Ashan, though. I feel like he's been good. He was noticeable tonight. He has a pretty good shot. He has really good offensive instincts. He, I feel like, could be a better option on a third pair than Clifton. So I wouldn't mind seeing Zaboral and Ashan on the third pair, you know, and then you go Krizlik and Forbort and McAvoy and Carlo. I like that group better. I think he gives you more offensively than Clifton does. He's just as good in his own end, probably a little better in his own end he doesn't get out of position as much as clifton does i feel like he plays more of a normal game rather than a cliffy hockey game where clifton's kind of running around looking for hits and so forth so i, I wouldn't mind seeing them give him a shot for the next you know five six seven games especially with Zavoro being out and i
0: agree all right we'll take a quick time out come back with the whipping boy segment right after this Anchor is totally free. So go ahead and download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, we're back with a Whipping Boy segment, and my Whipping Boy, as we've mentioned week after week, is Trent Frederick. Hi. Hi. All right. So Trent Frederick is my uh, whipping boy. He's now at third line center. And I put in my notes in capital letters, cannot be third line center. <laughs> I mean, my, here's the thing Trent Frederick, for what he brings to the table or should bring to the table, is physicality, maybe get in a fight, hit guys, be a, a poor man Sean Thornton type of situation there. I don't know if there's a place in that for league anymore. Number one. And number two, he just doesn't add anything. And if you're putting him on the third line, when you have secondary scoring issues, you just can't do that. He can't be there much longer. I mean, I'm watching him tonight. He can't catch a pass. He can't do anything offensively at all. And he's not giving enough of the other stuff to, I mean, if he's really hounding the puck and turning people over and setting up you know, getting other guys, you know, situ- you know a, a, an opportunity, then fine. But no, he's, he's not... He's not, I'll take Curtis Lazar as that guy on the fourth line or whatever. Trent Frederick has no business being on the roster, but if he is, certainly not third line center.
1: No, I agree with you 100%. And, and to back up your point, I'll, g- I'll give you some stats here. He oh, is uh, one assist on the season. He is yeah. minus three. He plays about 10 minutes of ice time per night, and wow. his faceoff percentage is 40 and a half. So he's not wow. even winning any draws. He's not producing offensively at all. He's not hitting anybody. He's not fighting anybody. So what does he actually give you? And if I have to watch his ass not catch a pass in the slot when he's wide open, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. How many times am I going to watch him fumble a fucking puck in the slot when he's by himself, when somebody gives him a great feed and he can't even catch a pass? I mean, how many times do I have to watch that? Before somebody says, no, you're not really an NHL player anymore.
0: No. I mean, could someone else play center? I, I, you know, look, can we kick the tires on Oscar Steen? Where's Chris Wagner? Like somebody else. Like for fuck. I mean, all those guys <laughs> have their own issues. But I, I can't. What, what are we seeing from this guy? 40% in the, in the, on the dot. One assist. I think it was in the first game, wasn't it? Or, or the second game. Something. Possibly, yeah. I think it was. Like, I think it was. He has like, what is it? Six points in 78 games or something. It's not good. God almighty. He's not good. He's not an NHL player. He's not. He's a guy in the AHL who'll fight and you'll eat your $3 popcorn and cheer for him and wear your Providence Bruins Trent Frederick jersey. And it'll be Trent Frederick you know, pugilistic bobblehead night. No, woo. You know, it's that's it. Like Can we put the
1: Trent Frederick Fight Club shirts? Can we put those in storage? <sighs> can we throw those in a self storage locker and, and flood that some bitch and just can like we see, can we <laughs> do something it? else with those?
0: <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud. Can we change it to the Trent Frederick Flight Club and have him <laughs> take a flight somewhere else? You know I we mean, should sit next God. to on the flight? There's a woman
1: who breastfeeds a hairless
0: cat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Did you see that new story? Yes. Yes. Breastfeeding a hairless cat, 13A and 13B is Trent Frederick. Yes. I, I agree. I mean, my God almighty. So that's it. He, there he is again. My
1: whipping boy is uh, Connor Clifton. So he's been scratched for most of the season. No, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) the last few games he's been scratched uh, with Zaboro stepping in for him, playing really well. But uh, he was back into the lineup tonight. And I actually, I thought he was pretty good. So I can't really crap on him too much. He stayed within himself, which is what he needs to do to play at this level. He didn't really go out of position trying to throw a hit. He was decent getting pucks out of his own zone. The guy tonight that I thought was or should be the whipping boy was Mike Riley, who was turning the puck over in his own end. Uh, mm. Quite often it didn't cost them, but he was not good at all. I'm going to maybe have to start like a Mike Riley turnover counter and we'll, we'll just mm. bing bong the buttons when, uh, when, when Mike, when Mike mm. turns the puck over in his own zone. But yeah, Clifton was okay tonight, so uh, I can't shit on him too much. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. For sure.
0: All right. It's time now for our beauties and benders segment here on the podcast. And this is where we pick each of our three beauties, the better players in the past week and our three benders, the not so good performances of the past week, my beauties for this week. Number three, Jake DeBrusk, you know DeBrusk as we've talked about, has been pretty good playing his best hockey probably since the first game where he scored of the season and really looked good. And then he didn't do much of anything for the next, you know, 16. And then here he is playing pretty well in the last couple of games since the trade request. My question has been, where the hell was this and why can't you play this hard when you don't request a trade? But here we are with DeBrusque playing hard and playing much better. And he was really good, like you said, on that, that no-sick-lazar line. I thought it was really good and noticeable all game long. Number two, Eric Halla. He's bounced back. He's been on a bender's role there for a bit. He's been on a couple of times, and, and people have knocked him and such Eric Hall has been really good. And tonight, against the Tampa Bay Lightning, he had a tremendous backhanded pass across the crease to Charlie Coyle for the first goal for the Bruins. A terrific play. He was uh, really hounding the puck. He was getting shots toward the net. He was really creating some havoc out there. And I thought Holler was very good. And number one, Charlie Coyle. Like I said, probably the second most consistent player on the Bruins so far this season. Seven goals, six assists, 13 points. Has been in the second line center role and done really well with it. Uh, he's been consistent. He's been dependable. And Charlie Coyle had another, another good night tonight. So he was my top beauty. All
1: right, my beauties. Number three. I had
0: Brandon Carlo,
1: who I thought this week played uh, a couple of pretty good games, had a goal against Nashville. He was uh, really good. And um, tonight against Tampa, I thought he stepped up with the absence of McAvoy and had a a good game overall. They need Brandon Carlo going forward to be much better than he has been. And like we talked about, I think maybe getting into a little bit more of a rhythm, not having the game spaced out as much uh, will certainly help him. Number two, I have Jack Sean in here at number two. I thought he was really good in his debut this season. He was noticeable on the ice, making some plays offensively, pretty good defensively against, a, you know, obviously a two-time defending cup champion. So uh, he certainly held his own. And then uh, number one, I had Eric Hala. I thought he's been really good in the last couple of games straight past the coil between the legs for a goal since he's been scratched and had to watch a little bit. I feel like he's been really good in the last couple of games, getting his legs moving, drawing some penalties, and he seems to have a pretty good chemistry with coils. So we'll see how that goes down the line. But they certainly need Eric Haller to get going a little bit more than he has been.
0: Uh, the benders, my benders, my three benders, and it was a little bit difficult uh, this week because the, the last two games, the team has played pretty well. But number three, you know, I'm going to put Nick Felino there because I think I need to see a little more from Felino. Face it, you're a Neo Maxi Zoom dweeby. He is, uh, yeah, he's just, he needs to give. He needs to be a little more noticeable, Give a little bit more on the ice. I, I don't know what it is about him or what I'm even expecting. I mean, he's not a guy who's going to go out and score 30 goals, so I don't know exactly what I'm expecting, but I think Hala and uh, Nosek and Lazar give me a little bit more. So I'm going to go with Foligno at three. Number two, Trent Frederick. Face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Just, I've said it all. He just can't, I mean, he just can't play at the NHL level. He certainly can't be a third-line center. And then number one, Mike Riley. Face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Riley is a turnover machine. He has been for much of the season. Uh, He just doesn't look all that good in his own zone with a puck. Once he's outside of his own zone, he gets much better. But he's in his own zone, a little indecisive at times, you know, just a little loose of the puck at times, isn't making that good first crisp pass at times. Sometimes he'll throw it on front or he'll just mishandle it. And of course, defensively, he can be a mess at times. And I think he might be the type of guy whose offense, if it's poor, affects his defense even more. And I think he is in a spot right now. He's just not playing great hockey. They'll need him to be better if they're going to be any type of contender here. So Mike Riley is number one. All right. My
1: three benders are exactly the same as your three benders. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know. I, I, like you said, it it was tough to choose because the team has been playing so well. And even those guys, I mean, you can't fault Foligno's effort. I, I think he's giving a good effort. He's hunting pucks. He's hitting guys. I still had him third. I had Trent Frederick, Second, because like you said, and I've said, and everybody said, he's not really a third line center, shouldn't be a third line center in this league. And then uh Mike Riley, a turnover machine tonight, he had three early in the game, might have been three in the first period. I mean, I, I think I was, you know, when I was tweeting out the tweets during the game, I was saying like that there's another one. I mean, it's just, you can't have that from a guy that you're kind of depending on. So same three benders, uh, not great. But uh hopefully they can uh, turn the corner. Eric Holla got out of the, uh, the doghouse. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. possible to get on our yeah. good sides. Yeah, and Connor Clifton is not on your bender's list. So he's not. He can get out of the bender list. Yeah. Yeah, he I mean, he, that he's kind of been a staple in there. So, yeah, if, yeah. If, you know, <laughs> if, if he can get out of there, anybody
0: can. Absolutely true. All right, time now for Top 7 Bruins Benders Podcast Power Rankings. Number 7. Remains the Minnesota Wild. First in the Central, still. They've won five in a row at home, I believe I saw earlier today, so they'll stay at seven. Number six, Carolina has dropped two spots because they're just f- five, four, and one in their last 10, but still a very good hockey team. They're at number six. Number five, Calgary jumps up a spot, eight, one, and one in their last 10, and they are waiting for the Boston Bruins coming up fairly soon here. Uh, number four, the New York Rangers reenter. The power rankings at number four, they are 15, four, and three. They are uh, a really good hockey team. In uh, number three, Washington drops down a spot. They're still first in the Metropolitan. Toronto drops a spot as well. They're number two now, second in the Atlantic, and that's because the Florida Panthers have moved up four spots. They are now first in the Atlantic, nine and one in the last ten. They went through a little blip there where they lost four or five in a row, but now they've turned it around again, and now they've won nine of ten. And they're first in the Atlantic, and they're very good, you know, Jonathan Huberdeau, Sasha Barkov, a uh, very good hockey team in Florida this year. So that's our power rankings.
1: All right, so the bottom three of the power rankings, the New York Islanders are 30th. They are 1-8-1 in their last 10, uh, not playing well at all, hitting kind of a tough patch there. The Ottawa Senators, 31st. They have 11 points the entire year which is (laughs) not very good. Not advisable. Not what you're looking for, really. And the Montreal Canadiens bringing up the rear at number 32 (laughs) with, uh, Jeff Gorton out there trying to talk French to the, uh, press conference. (laughs) Did you see this? He read a French statement. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah trying like hell up there to, to please the, uh, Francophiles. Yeah.
0: They're still hooked on that. I mean, they really are. The head coach needs to do it. And the GM, I mean, I mean, I get it. I mean, I get it, but it really hamstrings you. If, the, if, the, if there are more, you know, if there aren't that many good candidates, it just closes down your field of this. Yeah. Oh, so,
1: yeah. uh, he, he tried and, and, uh, he said he's trying to learn French. So, uh, more power to Jeff, but, uh, I hope they lose every game. And then and then lose the uh, draft lottery because I don't want them yes. to lose oh. all the games and then get oh, good players.
0: So yeah. lose all the games and then lose the lottery too. Oh, that would be that would be a, a wonderful season for sure. Week ahead for the Bruins on December eighth at the Vancouver Canucks. Brad Marchand will return after a three game suspension, which occurred versus the Canucks. It did. So his first Opponent will be the Canucks in Vancouver.
1: I'm sure he won't hear any <laughs> booze or anything. Oh. Seeing that he was excellent in the Cup Finals against them, and then also slew foot in quotation fingers, uh, oh. ekman Larson there, so it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. I'm I'm sure he'll hear it from from the uh, the Vancouver fans waiting to riot.
0: Right. So that happens on the eighth. So how many slew foots from PK Subban before that game occurs? Six. Okay, six more. Okay. All right. And, and only fines, nine. no suspensions. Yeah, only See, He doesn't get suspended for that. December 9th, they're at the Edmonton Oilers, another good hockey club. Uh, December 11th at the Calgary Flames, a rematch. Calgary beat Boston in Boston. And then December 14th at Vegas. So as you said, Smitty, that is a tough stretch for sure. Even the Canucks game in Vancouver, they'll probably be ready to go for the Bruins. And then you have Oilers Flames, Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I and- think you have you have to hope to come out of that
1: trip 2-2. Two and two. Right anything better than 2 and 2 I feel like is gravy that's a tough trip you know those teams are playing well vegas yeah. may be down a little bit this year but the oilers and flames are both playing really well canucks you know they have some some good talent so that's going to be a
0: tough game and like you said they'll be ready i'd like to see them get maybe hopefully get best case scenario 5 or 6 out of the 8 points would be would be nice there uh we had a benders poll so if you do follow us on Twitter, we do have some polls up there. Occasionally, we had 44 votes on this particular poll. What should the Bruins target in a trade for Jake DeBrusk? We talked about it earlier. and The fans agreed. 50% had center as their choice of target in a trade for Jake DeBrusque. 30% had a defenseman. 13% a winger. And 7% draft picks uh, for Jake DeBrusque. So they are in agreement. Fans and us alike would like to see the center position shored up a bit uh, in any type of return for DeBrusque or DeBrusque as part of a package, whatever it takes. I'd like to see, at the very least, a second-line center uh, that can be slotted in there. They can bring Charlie Coyle down, and then then you got something, I think. I agree. So you want to rate and review us for charity as we will donate $1 to the Bruins Foundation for every rate and review we get on Apple Podcasts. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. So you want to search Bruins Benders Podcast. Right now you'll see the Mike Milbury interview that we had that was very good. So you want to check that out as well. And listen to us. We drop episodes every Wednesday night. And we appreciate everyone listening and have a great week, everybody. Go Bruins. Thanks a lot.